The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from Shambhala Publications, host of an upcoming online course, The Heart of the Matter, How to Live with Compassion and Courage, taught by Pima Chodron. To learn more or register, visit www.shambhala.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guests today are Matt Weingast and Koshin Paley Ellison. They're authors of Awake at the Bedside, Contemplative Teachings on Palliative and End-of-Life Care. Koshin is the co-founder of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, the academic advisor for Buddhist students at New York Theological Seminary, and he's on the faculty of the University of Arizona's Medical School Center for Integrative Medicine. Matt holds an MFA in creative writing from the University of Massachusetts and currently lives at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies, where he continues to work, study, and practice meditation. A review of their book appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Matt and Koshin, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely to be here. I want to start with helping the audience get some sense of how you got into this field and from a Buddhist perspective. So, Matt, let's start with you. And what, what drew you to Buddhism and then what drew you to this issue of palliative end-of-life care? Um, well, as far as Buddhism, that came, um, you know, when I was in my early 20s. And it was, I think, the, basically the same story as many of us have, which is just curiosity and Wondering what, uh, wondering what else was available, you know. Um, and as far as uh, the palliative care, I'll have to let Koshin speak to that. He's really the expert. Um, and uh, this is something that I'm still very much in the early stages of learning about. Um, and this being part of this book was, was part of that process. So the way um, the collaboration worked between Koshin and I was he was the expert and knew all the things. And I kind of played the role of the amateur in thinking, okay, how can we make a book that can be useful for um, people on all sides of the expertise and experience spectrum um, as far as caring for people uh, towards the end of life? Hmm, okay. I thought you were going to say you came to Buddhism because you're Jewish. Almost every Buddhist I talk to, that's the reason they came to Buddhism, because, oh, they're Jewish. That's what Jewish people do. It's tradition. <laughs> that's the short answer, yeah. <laughs> so, Koshin. How did you move in this into this area? So, 
When I was a boy, um, I told my mother when I was eight years old that I wanted to grow up to be a Zen Buddhist monk. And it came from this um, sense of desiring quiet. And I'd seen a photograph in National Geographic where there was this picture in Tokyo of all of these people blurred. And in the center of the photograph was this monk and it was so still. And I was so struck by how still he was. And he had the slight smile. And I remember reading the captions that Zen Buddhist monk in Tokyo. And I said, I want to be like that. <laughs> so I ran home to my mother and told her I wanted to grow up to be a Zen Buddhist monk. And uh, apparently it turned out that way. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty insightful at eight years old. And then the shift into this palliative care area. Yeah, so it has many facets. Um, I grew up in the 80s, in the height and the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, really. And we, as a family, many of our close family friends were dying. And so much of my high school years, you know, were visiting Michael and Jerry and the different people who were sick. And so going to the hospital became a regular um, part of our family and taking care of people. And also it was really striking to see how they weren't treated very well. And they were, to me, they were just these amazing people who I loved and to see people not being afraid of the sickness, being afraid of, um, being afraid of being intimate. And it was so striking to me. And then later on, um, in my late 20s, I became the primary caregiver for my grandmother. And it was through that process of being with her. And, you know, from shopping to doctor's visits to late night ambulance rides to hospitalizations, and then moving in with her into the hospice, that I realized how everything needed to change. And it was through her eyes and her experience and my eyes and my experience of seeing how this fear of intimacy and just looking at people and not having to have the answer, and, but to be willing to be in the discomfort together. And it was my grandmother's idea that we kind of bring these two things together. She said, I never thought I'd say this, but this, there's something to this Zen thing and the care thing. And she said, why don't you and Chodo you know, start an organization and train people about how to bring these things together? And Chodo is? He's my husband and also, you know, he's also a Zen teacher like myself. And we founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care together. Mm. And, and the tradition out of which you come, the tradition your grandmother was in, was... Uh, yeah. So I'm Jewish and we of come Of course, from... okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually come from a line of rabbis and different folks like that. And um, yeah, so... But so it... I, I want to pick up on that for a second because uh, I also did the end-of-life care, though it was, it was much longer than I expected, uh, with my wife uh, and I helping her mom for five years. We lived with her which is how we moved from L.A. to Tennessee. But a, a year, almost, well, over a year ago, my dad died. And 
one of the things, my sister and I would go to the hospital, go to the, the nursing home every day, spend a lot of time with him along with my mother. And there was really nothing to do. The rabbis who came to help us out, give us prayers to say, the material they offered, and this is not supposed to be a critique of Judaism because my experience, you know, because they didn't speak to me. And I had written my own liturgies and I had gone my own way with, with Judaism. But the practice that worked for me and that when I taught it to my sister worked very powerfully for her as well is to sit uh, really at the bedside of my dad as he was dying and do meta practice. So I was wondering, Matt, if you could talk about that because that's, that's a major part of um, – the, 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 the Vipassana world, the Theravadan world of Buddhism. Do you, do you practice metta? Am I asking the right person about this? Um, yeah, I definitely practice metta, and it's a beautiful part um, of meditation. In some ways, it's the part, um, that, the part of meditation that I feel is most alive for me, and that keeps me going, um, and especially in terms of uh, please. No, I was just going to say, so define it for us, help people understand what it is, and then how they might apply it to, to people who are ill or, or dying. You know, many people translate it different ways, as in loving kindness or friendliness or benevolence, but it just means this uh, some quality of, of interrelational open-heartedness, right? So some quality of being in relationship. Um, and I remember when I was with a good friend of mine who was in hospice and when he was passing away, um, you, you can't really uh, under, you can't really overstate the power of just generating that sort of quality of heart and mind in that presence of someone who's going through a transition like that. Um, and I remember several of us from, uh, from our meditation community would come and spend time with him. And um, you can just feel this entire presence in the room kind of radiating with this both love and also just kind of basking in the mystery of what it means to transition from living to dying, you know, and it kind of felt like we were all doing it with him. Um, and it, it, it can become a, yeah, a, a beautiful way of um, experiencing that in a group or just with another person um, or just contemplating it um, by yourself in the morning or evening. So did you have a specific, uh, I don't know what to say, formula exactly, almost like a mantra? I mean, the way I was taught it was uh, I sat by my dad and I offered him blessings. May you be free from fear. May you be free from compulsion. May you be blessed with love. May you be blessed with peace. And I repeated that over and over again. Uh, was there something that you recommend saying in your head or maybe even out loud? Um, what you were using is the traditional one um, it's talked about in the Vasudhi Maga, and um, but it, it's such a universal practice. I mean, um, you know, it could be done by anyone of any religion. It can be done by recalling a particular memory where you offered or received something from another person. We all know what it feels like in the body um, to feel this sense of care for another human being. Um, and there are a million and one ways to come up with it, and I think none of them are wrong or necessarily better than the other, you know, and it can be a, can be a sort of playful thing um, to see how to kind of bring that up, especially in difficult situations. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Okay, let, let's do a little, something a little more 
abstract, if this wasn't already too abstract. I'm always curious when I talk to Buddhists about dying and death issues around the question of who dies. You know, there's, if, if there is no self, then what's happening? And I'm curious as to, you know, Koshin, what you would say about that. So what does your practice show you about the nature of death and the self? Well, it's such a great question. And, you know, for in the Zen perspective, we're always living and dying. And in each moment, because the moment is born and dies. And I can say, for example, my grandmother, you know, she died technically. <laughs> uh, she, her body died in 2002. And she feels alive to me now. And I was working with you know, the medical students that I work with in Houston, you know, who are second year medical students, we've gone through this kind of exploration of their anatomy classes, and they each have a course that they work with. And it was so amazing to me about, you know, this one, you know, young physician talking about how, you know, when really working on this body it started out as a body and then suddenly it was a woman and suddenly it was a 40 something year old woman who had um, stomach cancer and then she felt incredible compassion for this woman and suddenly the woman felt kind of alive to her and so i think in some ways to really always be thinking about that yes there is physical death but there's also no death in a certain way from a certain point of view you know the aliveness is depending on how we are with the memory and with our relationship to it so that sounds that, that sounds very jewish as well as buddhist <laughs> well that's me there you go <laughs> there you go I, i'm I, I think we all have a corpse that we're working with we just you know, look at it and say, oh, that's me. <laughs> so I'm working with the corpse here, trying to, you know, prepare it for its uh, death. So you, you said your grandmother died in the body. Are you implying that there's something else? Or is it really just the memory that you were referring to at the end? I mean, as far as I understand, Zen or Buddhism in general has no souls. There's no Atman as in Buddhism, as in Hinduism. Right. And I think that I mean, it's my experience, but it's really interesting over the years, people that I've worked with in the hospital and hospice and at home have talked about my grandmother in surprising ways. Like I'll tell you just a quick story about this one man who was dying. He had lived his life and after his retirement party, he was walking with his wife out into the parking lot and had a, his aneurysm burst. And he was actively dying when I met him within hours. And his wife turned to me as I walked into the room and she said, I'm glad the two of you are here. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she said, you and your grandmother. Wow. And so the more I do this work, the more I realize that I just don't know. Mm. I mean, what did she experience? I have no idea. Um, and yet I do feel my grandmother with me. And where is she? <laughs> you know, like, and to me, it's part of the great 
incredible mystery of being alive. Hmm. Well, I mean, that certainly is, I mean, it is, it is a mystery and we never really get to the, if there is a bottom, we really never get to the bottom of it. One of the ways that, that I, one of the metaphors I use for this is that of a knot and a rope. You know, you have a rope, you're at one knot, your grandmother's another knot, she passes away, you untie the knot. There's a loss for you personally, the extent to which you love the, the knot, the way she looked, the way she smelled, the way she spoke, the way she cooked, whatever she did for you, mm-hmm. uh, is that, that triggers real grief. But the rope hasn't changed and, and all knots are simply the rope in different configurations. So you're still the rope, she's still the rope, so there's no loss of connection. Is that sort of what you're saying? I think so. I mean, that's definitely what I experience, and it just feels ongoing, and mm. um, and it's so mysterious, you know. And to me, that the mystery of it is what's most true. And you know, what I've learned also from being with so many people at end of life is that so many things are true. Some people are sure that they're going to be with Jesus. Some people are so sure they're going to be you know, at one with the tree of life. Some people feel like they're going to be part of the great baseball game, you know, and some people feel they'll be part of the cosmos. And I think that, or with Muhammad in heaven, you know, so to me, it's just about realizing that there are so many truths. And Mm. to think that there's one is kind of like a bit hubris, you know. Well, my, my goal is to sit with Muhammad at a baseball game under the shade of the tree of life, <laughs> eating an all beef, you know, baseball, uh, yeah, baseball hot dog. No, no pork for either one of us. In the couple of minutes we have left, I, I want to ask each of you, and, and Matt, you can start if you like, how all this work that you've done, how is this preparing you for your own death? In some ways, this would be the point of all the work that we do. You know, um, when you think about it, being born was the first most interesting thing we'll ever do that we can remember. And dying will be the next most interesting thing. Um, So right now, we're just kind of in between those two states. But it's going to be a great adventure. Um, And I think holding it like that and doing things in life and some sort of contemplative practice that can kind of um, keep us oriented to it in that sort of way, um, to me, is, is most important, keeping um, keeping what's inevitably going to happen both to me and to all of us. It brings us together in a much deeper way, um, and we can live our lives very much as though it is a preparation for that next transition, which is, like Koshin is saying so beautifully, a great mystery um, and will certainly be a great adventure. Um, and the more that we can kind of bring it into our world, you know, the more we can uh, accept it as such and, you know, make peace with the inevitable and, and to some extent um, be curious, you know, and, you know, even in some ways even look forward to it and wonder what it will be like. Okay. Koshin, same question. So for me, the whole thing is practice of gratitude and appreciation. And what I've learned from dying people and in preparation for my own dying, which for me could happen at any time, is making sure that I have no unfinished business and to each day as much as possible to live as fully and to, which means for me, for all the people that I care for, for them to know how much I love them, for 
myself not to hold on to any kind of resentments or to resolve those and to really just be grateful and to whatever it is, you know, even like right now, like the pain in my foot, like I get to experience that and to really be intimate with my experience and to, yeah, just to love fully and not to hold back. Wow, that's the way to end it, to love fully and not to hold back. A wonderful way to end a life, I'm sure, but also the wonderful way to end this uh, essential conversation. So thanks to you both for, for being on the show. My guests today were Matt Weingast and Koshin Paley Ellison. Their new book is Awake at the Bedside, and a review of the book appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. So Matt and Koshin, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having us. Very, very interesting. Support for this edition of Essential Conversations comes from Shambhala Publications, host of the upcoming online course, The Heart of the Matter, How to Live with Compassion and Courage. It's taught by Pema Chodron. To learn more and to register, visit www.shambhala.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.